0: Good morning! If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 14. We're going to get there in just a minute. This Thursday, once a month, we have a third Thursday of the month from 10 o'clock a.m. till noon. We gather together and pray, and so I just want to encourage you all to take the part of the bulletin that tears off and just write down the one miracle that you need from God. What is the one thing that you want to see God do? It could be something with your children Could be a neighbor, could be something in your own life. I just want you to jot it down. You don't have to put your name on it if it's something personable. And then you can just drop it in the box there. There's a box in the back that says prayer request. And just drop that in there. I just want you to know that this week we're going to lift up every one of those prayer request. I also just want to mention, I think a few weeks ago, we talked about the name Jesus. I did get some, uh, several hundred, Jesus, I call them bumper stickers. I don't put them on my bumper because they're hard to get off. I put them on my window. And again, when you stick this on your window, everybody behind you can see Jesus. And if you turn around and look at it, it looks like Jesus backwards. But if you look through your rear view mirror, it looks like Jesus. Now, if you know of somebody, how many of you know that if you have this on your back window, you're going to be a better driver? How many of you, anybody here know someone that could use a Jesus bumper on the, on the window? All right, don't look at anybody right now, all right? So I've got a couple hundred here, there's some out there at the Information Center. Uh, you're welcome to take one of those, it's our gift to you. It will make you think about your driving, by the way. So anyway... I don't have my uh, clicker with me, and so I'm dependent on my wife, all right? So if you wonder if we coordinate, we'll find out today, all right? So we actually did in the middle service. So I'm going to begin a series, just actually, that's a two-part series, this week and next week, on the little drummer boy kind of Christmas. Now, when I first said that, somebody said to me, kind of the duh, they said to me, Roger, that's not in the Bible. Well, I appreciate you telling me that, all right? (laughs) So anyway, don't check your concordance, all right? Little drummer boy. How many of you have a manger scene with the little drummer boy there? All right? Not not there. And I understand that. But there's something about the little drummer boy that just tugs at my heartstrings when a little boy had nothing to give Jesus, but he said, I'll play for him. I'll play my best. I'll do what I can do. There's something about that that I think is taught throughout the Bible. It's just giving back to God those simple little gifts and doing what we can do. And it's very important. So, this is kind of a a scenery of of a nativity. How many of you see something in here that's not in the Bible? And you can ask anybody around you if you're confused. All right. All right. So, it's amazing. Our concept of the nativity scene is based on the nativity scene we own, it's based on Christmas plays. But in the Bible, there's a lot of things the Bible doesn't say was at the nativity scene. Now, there could have been there, but the Bible doesn't say. I don't think there was a drummer boy there. I'm just saying that. But here, I'm going to take away everything in this picture that's not mentioned in the Bible. All right? So first of all, the little drummer boy is gone. The Bible does not say that Mary rode a donkey to Bethlehem, even though all the pictures have it. The wise men came a couple years later. They weren't at the nativity. The Bible does not mention any animals at the nativity. The innkeeper is not even mentioned in the Bible. There is no mention of an innkeeper. And there is not probably a wooden stable. So we're taking out everything that the Bible doesn't mention. Probably, more than likely, he was born in a cave of some sort. All right? But again, you can't sell a cave to people, so you sell them a wooden manger. And by the way, as I speak, we just bought one out in front of our house, got got the manger, got the wooden manger, got the sheep, got, I mean, we did it, we got it. But I'm just telling you, sometimes there's a difference in what the Bible teaches and what we have a picture in our mind. But anyway, next week at the 930 service, because the adult cantata is going to be at the 1050 service next week, at 930 next week, we're going to have a Christmas quiz, Alright? Now, if you paid any attention today, you'll get three right. Alright, you'll, you'll already be ahead. Alright? So, anyway, that's going to be next week. Always a lot of fun to separate what the Bible says and what we have seen and what we have an image in our brain. Alright? And so last week we talked about the Feast of Tabernacles. And again, in the Bible, there's seven feasts that God asked the children of Israel to celebrate every year. Four in the spring, beginning with Passover, and then unleavened bread, first fruits, and then Pentecost. And in between the spring and the fall, there's the summer harvest. And again, these not only do these seven feasts all point to Jesus, but again, it gives us kind of a prophetic calendar of God's timetable. So it really is exciting to study these feasts. So the fall feast, as we mentioned, there's trumpets, atonement, and then there's Tabernacles. Last week we talked about tabernacles. It was the last feast of the year. As a matter of fact, the Jews would refer to tabernacles as the feast of all feasts. And so it really was an important feast that they were to celebrate with joy for seven days. And so three of these feasts, they required the Jewish males to go back to Jerusalem. Do you remember which three? And we just highlighted them here. So it's Passover, Pentecost, and tabernacles. So they were required to pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. So when Jesus grew up, I just want you to understand that every year they made that pilgrimage back to Jerusalem for Passover, Pentecost, and tabernacles. And there's some evidence in the Bible of that. And so today we're going to talk about Passover a little bit as we're talking about that first feast they were to celebrate every year. All right, and so in Luke chapter 2, this is one of the references where it just reminds us that his family always made that pilgrimage back to Jerusalem for Passover. In Luke chapter 2, it says his parents went to Jerusalem how often? Every year. I mean, every year they would go. So he's 12 years old here, so this is his 12th time to go to Jerusalem, all right, at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And so I just want you to understand, he grew up Jewish, and his family always made that pilgrimage back to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. In Luke chapter 9, our next slide, thank you, it says this, it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. This time, pilgrimage back to Jerusalem would be different than any other year. He had gone over 30 times back to Jerusalem, back to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. But I want you to understand, this time, he was going to Jerusalem to be the Passover lamb. This was unlike any other trip. He was actually setting his face. I love how Philippians 2:8 says that he became he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And so understand in your mind as he's making this trip back to Jerusalem, unlike the other 30 something trips he's taken, this trip he knows that again he's going to die for the sin of the world. I cannot wrap my mind around, first of all, how an eternal God who took on an earth suit can die. Second of all, it's hard for me to understand how holy God, who cannot be associated with sin, was loved enough so much that he was willing to take our sin on his body, on that tree. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. So as he's traveling back to Jerusalem, there had to be a lot on his mind, a lot on his heart as he's going back. He was going to be betrayed by one of the disciples. He was going to be forsaken by the other disciples. He was going to be tried and convicted. And so understand that as he goes back, there had to be a lot on his mind. But something happened in that last week while he was on earth, as he was getting ready to go to Calvary. Something happened. Someone gave him an incredible Gift, And that's what inspired me from the little drummer boy, this special gift that he got that last week before he went to the cross, all right? Now Josephus, Flavius Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, he wrote this. According to Josephus, on one Passover in the temple complex, and it wasn't the exact year of, of Calvary, but it was right in that time period to give you an idea of how crazy it was in Jerusalem. How many of you have ever shop on Black Friday? Can anybody say crazy? I want you to understand, when they pilgrimaged back to Jerusalem, Josephus said this, that one year there were 256,000 lambs killed, 256,000, and according to the, 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 the scripture, there was one lamb per household, and that household had to have a minimum of 10 people, so maybe two houses went together. But can you imagine, now if my math is correct, that's about or two and a half million people. Two and a half million people are, pilgr- are pilgrimaging back to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And so the temple we've showed many times, if you've been to Israel, this is on the Mount of Olives. We're overlooking the Kidron Valley. And, and the temple complex in Jesus' day was about 40 acres. Now, I I haven't really measured this out, but if you bring two and a half million people into 40 acres, it's gonna be crazy. So understand there's just a lot going on as everybody's coming back to celebrate Passover. Now, I've seen a lot of pictures of Calvary and almost every picture I've ever seen of Calvary is a hill far away out in a barren place and there's three crosses on that hill far away. Can I tell you, I don't believe that's biblical. First of all, I just want to remind you, the Bible never says he died on a hill. The Bible never says that. But we have that in our mind because it's on a lot of pictures. The Bible does say it was a place called Golgotha which is a place of the skull, but it never says he died on a hill. I believe the Romans, they crucified right along busy thoroughfares because they wanted people to see what happens if you go against the Roman government. I believe he was crucified right outside the city gates, right along a main thoroughfare where hundreds and thousands would have saw him. Now again, two and a half million people are in Jerusalem, and he's going to take the sin of the world. There had to be a lot on his mind. So that's where we pick up the story today, all right? So we're going to start in Mark chapter 14 here, the anointing at Bethany. This was about six days before Calvary. So the last week that he was on this earth, again, a lot going on, a lot of people, a lot of hustle and bustle. But there was one gift that he received this day that was so important to God. All right, and we're going to look at it. So being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table and a woman came having an alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard. She broke the flask and she poured it on his head. Now we know later that this oil was worth about a year's wages. It was a lot of money. And she had this flask and she came and she was just worshiping Jesus. And so she begins to get criticized. So let's pick up the story. The Bible says there were some who were indignant among themselves. Now the story is told in different gospel accounts. And so uh, they began to criticize this woman because she, again, they called it waste. She wasted this fragrant oil. I love the fact that it's called a fragrant oil. How many of you have ever gotten in the car with somebody that had a lot of cologne on Don't look at anybody right now, all right? So stay focused up here. But sometimes somebody can, but there's something about that fragrance. Here's how I picture it. I think there was a lot of people at the house that day. Maybe people out in the yard, maybe people in different rooms. And as this woman came in to worship Jesus, and she broke this flask of this fragrant oil, I think that smell had to go throughout the whole house. And I can imagine people going, what's that smell? What's that smell? And I imagine them following their nose. And as they follow their nose, no matter where they are in the house or out in the yard, it leads them to Jesus. Let me say what I found in my 42 years in ministry. When someone pours out on God their very best, it puts off a fragrance, not to draw attention to themselves, but to draw people to Jesus. And so here's a woman pouring out this fragrant oil that was worth a year's wages. And the Bible says she began to get criticized by the disciples, and they called it a waste. All right? Let's look at that word waste. It's a Greek word that means destruction, ruin, waste. It's also used in Matthew 26, where Matthew gives the same story. But this same Greek word is also translated perdition eight times, destruction five times, damnation one time. It really is a strong word that says, not only did she just waste it, but literally, she literally paid tribute almost to Satan. It was almost satanic. It was damnable, her pouring that out on Jesus. Now, this is coming from the disciples. If anyone should have understood the worth of Jesus, it should have been the disciples. Can I go on record as saying that nothing you give God is a waste? Nothing. I mean, if you poured out everything you had on God, it would not be a waste. But they criticized this woman for pouring out and just anointing his body. So it goes on to say there in the text, they criticized her sharply. Now, one of the gospels says that Judas started the criticism because he said that should have been sold and given to the poor, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was the treasure and he dipped into the resources. But they began to criticize her. And the Bible says, but Jesus responded, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. Let's go to the next screen. Whatever you wish, you may do them good, but me you do not have always. And I love this phrase here. She has done what she could. Everybody says she, she, she has done what she could. One more time. She has. I love how Jesus says she has done what she could. She couldn't maybe do a lot of things. But what God had given her, she was willing to do what she could do. I love that particular phrase. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. He's six days from Calvary. What would have happened if this woman would have said, you know what, this is a lot of money. I'm going to wait one week. I'm going to pray about it for a week before I give it. What would have happened if she would have waited a week and not poured it out? She would have missed Jesus. By the way, I think it's in Mark 16, where the ladies were coming to the tomb with some spices to anoint his body. Guess what? He was rose. He rose from the grave. He wasn't there. They missed it. But I love how he says she did what she could. He says to her, surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that, if I'm being honest. As important as the gospel is, and we would all say the gospel is the most important thing. It's the power of God unto salvation. Jesus said, I didn't say, Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world. And I've heard the gospel hundreds of times, hundreds of times I've heard the gospel. Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached, I want what this woman did to be told right alongside of the gospel. I wonder why we don't talk about this woman more. Because Jesus said, apparently, whatever she did was so important to God that he said, I want it to be told right alongside with the good news. And this woman did what she could do. I love that phrase. She did what she could do. She couldn't be somebody else. She couldn't give back to God something she didn't have. But she did what she could do. And I believe there are many examples in the Bible of people who gave what they had. I love the story of the lad and the lunch here in John chapter 6. And by the way, I've, I've heard this. I've taught it. But this week, for the first time, it kind of dawned on me, I think it's in verse 4 of chapter 6 of John, the Bible says the Passover was drawing near. I never saw that before. So they were getting ready to head north to Jerusalem. The Passover was near. After he talked to these people, he was going to feed. This is the feeding of the 5,000. 5,000 men plus women and children. And and they didn't know what to do, even though the Bible says Jesus knew what he was going to do. Then Andrew found a lad with a lunch. He said, I got a lad here, but all he has is five loaves and two small fish. How many of you know this lad had that lunch? It was all he had. Now, it may not sound like a lot to us, but when that's all you have. And I love the story how this little lad apparently put his lunch in Jesus' hands. It really is amazing that when we give God what we can give, that God is able to take that and just multiply it in only a way that he can. By the way, when they got done feeding the 5,000 men and women, how many basketfuls were left over? Do you remember? Twelve. Twelve basketfuls. I've heard pastors get up and say, I believe every disciple got a basket. Might have. Might have. I don't think so. I think the little lad who gave the lunch got all of them. Can you imagine him dragging those 12 basketfuls home? And his mom says, where in the world did you get that? Sit down, Mom, you're not going to believe me. (laughs) He probably had time out for a month. Can you imagine putting your lunch in Jesus' hands and you go home with 12 basketfuls? Can I tell you, God has far more to give than anything we have. And there's something about doing what you can do. There's something about just giving out of love and just pouring out on God that he takes that. And I believe Jesus smiled at this woman. And then there's the story in Luke chapter 14 when Jesus talked about having a meal. And, 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 and by the way, I, always, I mean, how many of you love to go over to somebody's house for a meal? Never a bad time. But he says this, because sometimes we can get so busy kind of entertaining each other. He says when you give a meal, don't always invite your friends and your rich neighbors. Sometimes when you give a meal, I want you to invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and you will be blessed. Why? Because they can't repay you. You know, there's something about giving back when people cannot return the favor that God is very pleased. And so as we get busy in the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season, and this church, by the way, is the best. I cannot even begin to tell you how many people have called me and said, is there somebody that we can do something for? We want to give, we want to bless a family, and we don't want them to know where it came from. I'm going to tell you, this room is saturated with people who have that heart. But he says, when you do something, he says, do something, invite somebody, bless somebody who can't pay you back, and it says, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You know, we can never do what we can't do, but I love, again, this lady when Jesus said she did what she could. All God requires is for us to do what we can do and to put it into his hands. And then there's uh, one of my life verses there in Matthew 25, when Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. You remember that story, the final judgment? He says to the sheep on his right hand, I was hungry and thirsty. You fed me. You gave me something to drink. I didn't have clothes, and you provided clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you came to see me. And they said, Lord, when when did all that happen? They didn't even know they were doing it. And Jesus said, as often as you've done it to one of the least of these, You've done it for me. And then he said to the goats, I want you to listen to this. Because he said to the goats, he didn't say anything they did wrong. He didn't say to the goats, you've been getting drunk and chasing women on Saturday night. He didn't accuse them of anything they did wrong. But what he said to them was, I was hungry and thirsty and you never gave me anything to eat or drink. I didn't have clothes and you didn't provide me any clothing. I was sick and in prison and you never came to see me. And they're going to say, Lord, when did we see you in those situations? And he's going to answer the goats, as often as you did not do it into one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. That's why there's something about that little drummer boy that had nothing to give to God. Because most of us, if we're going to be honest, none of us have anything of significance to give God that would make him go "Wow." But it's doing what we can do. It's just giving back along the journey and blessing people and just pouring out to God that he's so pleased with. A few personal stories. I remember when I was a very young pastor, I got the privilege of hearing a missionary share, and I don't remember what country he was in, but he was in a really poor, poor area. And they were in a village. And I mean, he said there probably wasn't $10 in the whole group. But they were wanting to take up an offering to help another village because another village had gone through some struggles. And this missionary was sharing. He's looking out around these people thinking, there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing these people can give. But he said, I'll never forget, he said, as they were taking up the offering. And back then they did it where they brought the gift to the altar, as the Bible talks about. And so people were just coming up and, and there really wasn't much to give. But he said, I'll never forget it. There was a guy in the back, and he got out. He was very, uh, just tattered clothes and just looked extremely poor, and he made his way down to the altar. He said, I will never forget it. When he got down to the altar, and I was just kind of looking at him, he said he stood there for a minute. He took off his glasses, which were kind of old and beaten up, and he laid his glasses on the altar and then walked back. I've got to be really honest with you. I don't know if I could do that. That'd be really hard to give the only glasses you had to help somebody else. When I think about great gifts, that's one of the stories that come to my mind. Another story kind of similar to that, another area that was extremely poor and the missionary said that he looked out and he saw an older guy trying to pull a plow and there was a younger guy pushing behind him. And this was really unusual. And so he watched him for a little bit, and they were having, obviously, a difficult time trying to plow the field without an ox. And so he asked the village uh, pastor there, what's going on in this story? And he said, well, this family, they also wanted to give to meet a need, and they had nothing to give. But they were so moved by God that this family brought their ox, the only ox they had, and they gave that ox as an offering to help a fellow village. You know, when I hear stories like that, and I think about people just doing what they can do, I've shared the story about Gary Lake, and I got to talk to Gary a couple months ago, by the way. It was good to to talk to him. How many of you know that God brings people into your life to really help you when you need it? I was 19 years old when I really just committed everything to God, and God brought this young man into my life. He was a little bit older than me, but Gary, uh, he worked, he made $105 a week if I remember correctly, $105 a week. And when he got saved, I mean, he just was sold out to God. Now, Gary lived with his brother. And literally, if he were to keep everything he made, he would still come short at the end of the month. But when Gary got saved, he decided to give God $20 a week. And I almost told him, Gary, you ought to pray about that. I mean, I'm almost saying, wow, that's, I mean, I would pray. But every every week, he'd put in $20. I remember when our church collected food for Thanksgiving as we give out food. Our church at Berkeley gave out food baskets. I remember him going to the store, and he got a couple bags of groceries. He didn't have any food in his own cupboard other than, how many of you know what bachelors have in their cupboard would not be considered food? All right, but he was that way. But he went I got two bags of groceries, and he said, can I meet you? I was the youth pastor at Berkeley. I met him there early. He wanted to put the food in there before anybody saw him. Because he didn't want anybody to know. And he got out, and that morning when he was bringing in those two bags of groceries, I can still remember a tear running down my eye to think, here's this guy that could use food, and yet he's giving back. He's giving what he can give. And by the way, God provided for Gary so many supernatural ways. One day he walked out to his car, and there was a $20 bill under his windshield wiper. I check my wipers often. I mean, money showed up in his bank account, and he called the bank, and he said, I don't, I don't think, I think there's a mistake. And they said, well, we've checked, and the money's there. It was right after that that God called me to Pastor Gerald for $325 a month. And that was gracious by them, by the way, again, because we only had a $10,000 yearly budget. They weren't making much. And you know what? Everyone told me, you'll never make it. Roger, you'll never make it. But I saw God work in Gary's life. I knew that the God we serve is able. And I'm here to tell you today, I've made it so far. But you know, just giving what we can give. You know, sometimes we feel like we've got to give something so outrageous. I just could never give like Billy Graham. I could just never. I wish I could sing like David or play like some of these in the band. I mean, there's so many things I would like to give God. But I don't have it. But are just giving God what we have. I think about this woman who, again, came to Jesus at such a vital time. He's within days of going to the cross. And she comes and just gives what she had. She prepared his body for burial. Getting back to the little drummer boy, there's something about the story of the little drummer boy, again, that just... Kind of tugs at my heart when this little boy has nothing to give the king. But he finally decides, I'm going to play my drum for him. That's all I got. I believe the Bible teaches, again, that we should just do what we can do. This past week, I had the chance to do another funeral. I get to do a lot of funerals. Two weeks ago, by the way, I did a funeral for a lady 98 years old. It's one of the rare times that on the death certificate, it said she died of old age. You don't see that all the time now. She was a member of a church in the area, and I'm not going to say what the name of the church was. She was a member there for years, but she'd been in a nursing home for eight years. The funeral home called the pastor of that church, was a younger guy, and the pastor said, I'm not going to do the funeral because she hasn't been attending. Can you see why she wasn't attending? And so the lady at the funeral home, man, she was very frustrated. She said, I'm just going to call Roger. <laughs> Can I tell you this? I never take lightly doing a funeral because I know every soul is valuable to God. I can't tell you what a privilege it was to do that funeral a couple weeks ago. By the way, 98 years old. She, how many of you know she outlived most of her friends? And so I, I got there that day, and I planned some music, and, man, we we're going to do some. When I got there, there was just four people, four people. I went back and I told, the, uh, told Keith at the few, at Oldmans I said, Let, let's don't do any music, let's not make it formal, it's really a small group. And I did something I've only done one other time in my 42 years, I went to the Sun, there were only four people there. I said, would you mind if I just pulled a chair up and we just talked? I don't feel like I wanna stand behind the podium and make it formal, I said, but just us four. And so I grabbed a chair, I pulled it in front of the casket and just kind of sat down with the four people, and we just kind of shared. And they, they actually responded back. We had kind of an interactive service. Well, this week I had a chance, and this person was also connected to a church. The pastor, for some reason, didn't want to do the service. So I said I would be honored to do it, and so I got there, and uh, they weren't connected to a church in any way, But and so I got there a little bit early, as I always do, and I got a chance to talk to his wife, uh, he was probably 55 years old. They'd never had any children. And so I remember the wife, she came out. I was out in the foyer area at Midland Funeral Home. She came out in the foyer. It doesn't happen very often when they're not connected to a church. But she came out and made a beeline to me and said, would you, would you mind praying for me? I said, I would be honored. And there out in the foyer, man, I just took time to pray for this dear wife. And uh, they had two nieces, one was 13 and one was 15, I believe. And so they came up to me also before they said, we would like to say something about our uncle. I said, that'd be awesome. I mean, you always just kind of go with the flow. You want to make it a celebration of their life. And so these two girls said, I want to come up. And the 15-year-old, you could tell they were both scared to death. And I get that. And the 15-year-old said something to me. She said, I would also like to sing. That's unusual. And she wanted to sing Dancing in the Sky. It was kind of a cool song about, you know, are you in the angel choir and are you dancing in the heavens? And, and so she said, well, what, what she wanted to do was play the song and her sing along. That's how I would do it real softly on my part. But I, I, I could tell she was scared to death, but she said, I just feel like I want to give that to my uncle. And so when she came up to sing... She looked at me and said, would would it be okay if if I just looked at him and not to everyone else? That was different. I said, absolutely. And so she sang the whole song with her back to everybody, and she stood right in front of the casket and sang to her her uncle's earth suit, are you dancing in the sky? How many of you know you always see something different? Now, I had my phone off. I had my phone off because Bob can call you. If Bob knows you're at a funeral, he'll call you. By the way, if you think I'm joking, when Bobby was up here doing the welcome this morning, he called her. Matter of fact, it was when she was praying, he looked at me and goes, here, I'm calling Bobby. Thank God she didn't have her phone with her, but she texts back a few minutes later, you dork. I'm giving you information you probably don't need. (laughs) But I had my phone on, had it off. But when this gal was singing, man, I sat over there and I was starting to cry. And here's this girl that has really almost nothing to give. And she wants to give back to her uncle. And so she stood and faced the casket. And I'm off to the side up here by the front, by the podium. And I'm trying to get my phone out and I'm trying to turn it back on. And so the last 30 seconds of the song, I'm videotaping I got it on my phone. And I said to her afterwards, I will never, ever forget you. What you gave your uncle that day was an incredible gift because you gave what you could. You know, this year as we go through the holidays, I just want to encourage you to continue just to to share the love of God. God's never going to ask you to do what you can't do. But man, we all can give back. We all can find people and to share along the journey. I will, again, forever remember the story where Jesus said, wherever the gospels preached, I want what this woman told right alongside of it. It had to be pretty important to God. And so I just want to encourage you to keep giving. Getting back to the little drummer boy here. I know it seems a little bit weird. I've I've never done a little mini-series on the little drummer boy Christmas. There's something about the heart, and I can just imagine that little guy on the drums wanting to give something to Jesus. And all he had was an ability to play drums. He said, I'm going to play my best for him. This morning, I believe God is asking us just to give back not what we don't have not to do what we can't do but if we all would just continue to share along the journey I believe that pleases God you know when I was young uh, my, my dad he would give us money to buy him a Christmas present he would give us money to buy him a Christmas present and as, a, as young boys, my brother and I, he was 20 months older, so he corrupted me. I, I, was, I, you know, I, I wasn't that way, but he would corrupt me. But guess what year, guess what we bought him one year for Christmas. He gave us the money to buy him a Christmas present. We bought him a weight set. <laughs> and he was so gracious. And he, oh, that is really awesome, guys. And he even let us put it in our bedroom. I don't think he ever used it. <laughs> now you say, well, that's, that's kind of crazy. Can I tell you, everything you have has been given by God. And to turn around and to give something back and to bless somebody, it really does honor God. So I just want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. We're going we're gonna to sing a couple stanzas of the little drummer boy. I've never done this in church, but you all get to participate, so everybody needs to stand. Maggie's going to help me, thank God for Maggie. In the the 930 service, I had Michaela Suttles, who's not a, a public kind of person. Michaela Suttles, somebody picked her out, so I had her come up. How many of you know she was a little frightful? She's not even here at this service, she left. If I had her come up. I said, you know, little drummer boy. She goes, I've never heard it. I said, you'll do fine. You'll do fine. And she said, would you sing my part with me? Now I was worried. I was worried. She goes, would you sing with me? Thank God Maggie was there. Maggie said, I'll sing with her." Save me. Save me. So she stood up there with Maggie and they sang the part and by, I don't have it all up here, which maybe next week we'll sing the whole thing. But we got a couple stanzas, so there's going to be parts missing. There's a couple pa pum pums that are missing, but we're going to sing it. I want us to remember John Neeson, he's got stage four cancer, it's been out on the prayer chain. Jan, uh, Jan his wife, so I want you guys to remember John. I think each time he goes back, he gets more severe news. There's also a young man by the name of Corey Muir, a nephew of Dennis Muir that comes. He also has stage four cancer. So I want us to remember them this morning as we pray. So let's do that first. And then we're gonna try to sing this song. Maggie's gonna lead the ladies. Uh, David's gonna lead the guys and I will follow along. I'm gonna have my mic off because this is being recorded, and I wouldn't want to do that to David. But let's take a minute before we sing. Can we remember John? Remember Corey? And I know there's a lot of people here that have a lot of things heavy on your heart. I just want to tell you, God loves you so much. Again, I just, I, I'm moved by that last week of Jesus' earthly life and all the things that was on his mind and heart. And to have this woman come and just love on him and worship him when no one else seemed to be giving him much support meant the world. Let's pray together. Then we're going to sing Little Drummer Boy. Father, I just want to take a minute and lift up John and Corey. And Father, I know ultimately they're in your hands. I pray for supernatural wisdom for the doctors. I know you can work through doctors and medicine. But I also know beyond that through your power. God, my heart is for a miracle for each one. I just pray that you would love on them and love on their immediate family. And somehow in the middle of this valley and storm, they might draw close to you. Love on them and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna sing a couple stanzas again. If you think something's missing, it is. But Maggie just went right along with it. She covered me very well. So all the ladies are gonna follow Maggie. You're gonna sing the white letters. All the guys are gonna sing the green. I called it yellow at the 930 service and I was told it was green. Looks yellow to a colorblind person. So the guys are gonna do the Perumpa pump pums You're gonna find yourself singing it this week. All right, ladies follow Maggie, guys follow David. you guys hope you have an amazing christmas season and remember just to do what you can do to keep your eyes and your heart open to be able to give back along the journey and just honor the lord with what he's blessed us with love you guys hope you have a great season put your prayer requests in the back we're going to close out with a song oh, man.